Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you leave an experience better than you found it. My guest this week is Noah Harris, and he was the first black male student body president at Harvard. Noah is also a Truman Scholar and will be returning to Harvard for law school. We had a great conversation about Noah's work as a public servant. So without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Noah Harris. I really am, in a lot of ways, a reflection of where I'm from, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I grew up there in the same house for my, my whole life. Um, you know, great parents, great family, uh, great community, school system, everything. And so I've really been fortunate to have the support that I've had and uh, have the opportunities that I've been able to to experience. And, um, you know, really always being taught from a young age in the church or uh, in, you know, in the community or wherever that that service is, is super important and always feeling like because uh, I've been able to be so blessed, I've been trying to, you know, always give back. And I think that's always been a joy of mine is feeling like I've been able to to do something to make someone else's lives better or to make a policy better or to improve something, you know, and I, I and have kind of my purpose reflected in that way. Uh, and so, you know, that, that led me to, to Harvard, to have the opportunity to be elected a student body president uh, during the pandemic, like really the only time since the Revolutionary War and smallpox, I believe, that classes paused at Harvard University, um, which was a unique and, um, you know, frightening and, and great experience at the same time. Uh, with all that, you know, we kind of went through as a country, as a world during that time and in, in some ways are still going through. Um, and then you had was able to give the commencement address at the uh, first in-person commencement since the pandemic started, which was uh, a surreal experience. And after graduating, I moved to D.C. when I started working in the office of Congressman Benny Thompson on the Hill um, as he served as chairman of the Homeland Security Committee and then as chair of the January 6th uh, committee. And then, um, so I worked with him for about 11 months. Uh, and then recently at the end of May, I transitioned to the Office of Management and Budget at the White House, where I serve as a confidential assistant for the administrator of the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. So pretty much the um, Biden administration's uh, regulation office is uh, is where I'm posted up right now. Thank you for sharing that background, Noah. And I would love to go a little bit deeper and have you tell me more about what inspired you to get started in politics and with this work in public service. Can you tell me more about what the experience was like for you to get started with this work? Got it. So um, I think growing up, I, I my mom and my dad, they, they were some of those parents who they were just going to put me into everything and they were just going to figure out what I liked and um, I eventually liked uh, and became passionate about a lot of things from violin to piano to boy scouts to basketball to baseball um, to debate and so I was always running around very busy but I think you know being in being in boy scouts and then also doing a lot of service work at, uh, at my church 
I um, I really got this sense of, you know, hope when, you know, we were doing community service and we were um, getting to give back to to um, to our, our community, you know, just just the feeling of even when, when there were natural disasters, we have tornadoes and hurricanes all the time. And being able to help families uh, pick up the, the the wreckage and try to get them get them back on a you know path to recovery and uh, all of that, I think growing up in that very community tight knit uh, close community mindset uh, in Hattiesburg, not not a big city, but not tiny either, about seventy thousand people. That's big for Mississippi. So, <laughs> and just always being taught that you did your job if if you if you leave and experience better than you found it. And so uh, even if, you know, you do one little, one little thing, I think that was kind of preached to me uh, from a very young age and it's always kind of stuck with me. So I think, I think that's kind of, that's the root of it. And then it's just kind of expanded from there. I love that idea about leaving a situation better than you found it. I think it's a great idea to keep in mind just in daily life. So I'd also love to know more about how being from the South has shaped you as a person and as a public servant. So many people, even people around the world, have assumptions about the American South. So how has being from Mississippi shaped you as a person and how has it shaped the work you're doing in politics? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because there is kind of a a reverse great migration kind of going on right now. Like the, this it's like the South, at least the, the metropolitan areas are like becoming cool again. And it's like the South is starting to become trendy. Like we look at Houston, Dallas, Austin, Atlanta, Nashville, um, you, you know, you New Orleans, you name it. And so that's been interesting to see. And I think that through that comes with, like when you mix in, of course, the history um, and some of the present uh, conditions, it mixes in a, a big kind of, oh, the South is some like mystery over here behind curtain number three. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the South is, is just like any other rural area, if you're being honest, like outside of Virginia, I'm sure, or any, you go to any big city, and I've realized this growing up because I thought um, big, these big cities, you know, I thought of going to Boston or there could never be anywhere near Boston, like where I grew up. You go outside of any major city or you go to any suburb or you go to any small town and that that pretty much looks like the South. We just don't have any big buildings. <laughs> um, it's uh, We have a lot of um, rural areas, but, you know, in between those rural areas, we do have some some smaller cities, you know, between like 10,000 up to about, like I said, where I grew up, about 80,000 people. Um, so, you know, there are small towns, there are medium-sized towns. There are just no large, massive metropolitan areas where I'm from. And, you know, that's that's fine, too. I think as well, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on uh, because um, – the the south it's people are seeing it as kind of this place that's ripe with opportunity all these companies are moving in now and it's really starting to grow because of you know the taxes are a little bit cheaper and well lower um it's cheaper to build um certain areas there's a lot more land available um so it's uh it's pretty interesting i think in a lot of ways it gets a 
a, a negative representation because we don't have a lot of new stories coming about what the South is like now. And so I think people see, you know, the 60s or they see the 70s or even the 80s and, you know, they get a usually a bad representation. I mean, there are, you know, there's still remnants of that, but there that's everywhere, you know, it's for, for, for like, you know, historic re representation in the South where, where you show me um, some form of, you know, probably more blatant discrimination when you look at, you know, a, a sit-in movement or something like that, you know, I'll point to, you know, uh, I'll point to redlining in Boston or, you know, refusing to give black families housing loans or, or anything like that. And so I think it's, it's um, most perceptions about the South are, are old. I think there are some elements of that that still exist and some people want to hold on to the past, but um, for the most part, we're slowly moving, slowly moving into the, a great future that I'm, I'm hoping continues to, you know, grow and become more, um, ripe with opportunity. Absolutely. I think the idea of modern stories coming out of the South is is really interesting because when we think of American culture, so much of that comes from the South. Fun fact, yeah. Mississippi is actually the birthplace of America's music. Almost every major form of music has roots in Mississippi. You look at the blues, which um, now Memphis gets credit for, but that's all from Mississippi. The roots of country, that that kind of new pop sound with with Elvis that evolved into what kind of rock that evolved into pop and then um um you know hip hop and other things like that so birthplace of America's music <laughs> you learn something new every day that's that's so interesting so tell me more about your work in politics now we're coming up on a presidential election cycle so it's an exciting time to be working on the hill right now i'm sure what are the issues that you are most passionate about and what are some of the changes you would like to see as far as legislation? As far as legislation, I, I think we've seen, um, especially in, a, in an increasingly politicized and polarized era, we've, I think we may have taken for granted, you know, the first, uh, well, the last kind of couple of years where you had these massive pieces of legislation come through with bipartisan support. I think that was like trying to fit, you know, uh, a, a truck through a, a needle. Like it was, I, I'm so impressed with, with the progress that has been made um, and the landmark legislation that I don't think we message on enough. Uh, I think we do have to do a better job of messaging just how much progress and how, how, um, how exceptional the, the like legislation and the policies that have been passed since 2021 have been, um, while of course still pushing for more. But I think for me, I want to see the right to vote, a better effort for the right to vote to be protected. Uh, because my my grandparents, I talked to my, my grandfather last night on my mom's side and um, him and his wife, they they marched for voting rights. In, in Mississippi. And I don't want to live in a world where it's a possibility where my grandkids could still be fighting for the right to vote. And so I think we have to, we have to ensure that our most sacred right is always protected and safeguarded 
and all of the poll tax by a different name, i.e. gerrymandering, cracking and packing people out of districts, um, strict um, voter ID laws, voter purging, um, oh, like felony disenfranchisement, all of these things. I think we have to make sure that all the remnants of the civil rights era success um, and we don't we don't allow the vote to be tarnished or or restricted anyway. I think it's so inspiring to hear that story about your grandparents and that you are continuing their work so many years later. So thank you for sharing that. I have one more question for you. Lots of young people, especially high school students and college students, want to create change, but they may not know how to get started with that work. What advice do you have for those people who may be listening? Well, I think first of all, we have to we have to get out of the mindset that young people cannot create massive change because we can't. You know, we've we've seen it before. I think there's a a problem kind of in our generation's relationship to kind of our our predecessors because you look at people like Dr. Martin Luther King he was extremely young when he was kind of the, the basically the leader of the entire civil rights movement. You look at John Lewis, who was one of the speakers at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, which we just celebrated the 60th anniversary. He was one of the speakers, I believe, 21 years old, maybe even younger than that. And so I think we have to do a better job of elevating young people and mentoring instead of everyone, you know, just kind of telling young people just kind of wait. So I think that we have to work on that. Uh, for young people who are, who are trying to get involved, um, I would say just, you know, look in your community uh, because I think everybody wants to, especially when you're doing public service, everybody wants to be in a place where, you know, oh, they can take credit for this or they can get this on their resume. But Ultimately, the biggest change you're going to see, and so the most impact that you can have is always going to be on the local and the state level, because those are the laws that impact people's daily lives the most. If you look at people working on the Hill or in Congress or the White House, we're passing legislation that usually it's working for people, but usually people aren't going to see the benefits of a lot of the things we do. Like if we do something today, you may not see the benefits until two years from now. And that's, that's a fast process. But, you know, at every level has to do their part. But most of the things um, that people that people are struggling with, that people really need help with, is decided on that state legislature level or with people statewide officials. And so I would I would get involved in helping decide who's going to be the next sheriff of your community, because that impact people with over-policing and all this other stuff. And I want, you need to look at, okay, who are, who's running your voting precinct, you know? Um, And are they purging people from the voting rolls? Who is on your school board? Are they banning books? I think that is where, if young people are looking for a place to start, that's where they'll face the least resistance in getting started because not as many people are willing to do that work, but that's where most of the change is made. And that's where people who are 
who do have their hands on the levers of power right now, they're counting on us not paying attention and they're getting their way. I enjoyed this conversation with Noah because his passion for public service is so authentic, and I could hear it as we talked about his background and his work. I want to highlight one piece of advice Noah shared about leaving an experience better than you found it. Small, everyday actions to make someone else's day better or to make your school, workplace, or community better really do make a difference. So I think we can all keep Noah's story and his advice in mind because change comes when you leave an experience better than you found it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Noah on Instagram at Noah10Harris to get connected with him. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.